and we get a double whammy this morning, two bits of the Bible, the first one being Genesis chapter 1 verses 1 to 3 and the second one, uh, contrary to your sheet, being 1 John 4 verses 13 to 16. But we'll start with Genesis chapter 1 which is on page 1 of the Pew Bibles and also page 1 of your non-Pew Bibles uh, if you brought one with you. So Genesis chapter 1 starting at verse 1. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. And the second part of our reading today is 1 John chapter 4, verses 13 to 16, which is on page 1902 of your Bibles. And I can't guess if you brought your own. 1 John chapter 4, starting at verse 13. We know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit and we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in him and he in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Matt. Good morning, everybody. It's great to be with you again. It's great to be uh, starting a new series and getting us thinking about what does it mean to, to follow God, to trust in him. Uh, this morning, you might have noticed we've been singing a lot of songs about God as in references to him as Father, Son and Spirit. And what does that really mean? Uh, how does he show love and how we be united with that? King David uh, says something interesting back from what Ben alluded to back in uh, Chronicles, you can read it. Um, when he talks about seeking the face of God always, we should always seek his face, always draw near to him. That's what he's talking about, draw near to him, to know him intimately. When we draw near to him, when we see his love and experience his love, we're just compelled to praise him, that we actually live in his love, uh, is what David's saying, that we seek his face, look him in the face. But you need to get close enough to really see him, to know him personally. And when we do that, when we live in his love, when we're in his like circle, inner circle you might say, personal space, we find something that God actually starts praising us. Because that's how love works. It's not just one way, but two ways. But David talks about we can live in God's praise. We're going to be talking about that over the next four weeks. About what that means to live in that sort of relationship. But we need to understand God, don't we? We need to understand how he works, what it is, to get in his face, you might say, to look at him in the eye, to understand how he works. Because <clears throat> when we use the term God, what does that mean? Am I talking about God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit? What, there's three gods, but there's one God? I'm going to introduce a dirty word starting with T called Trinity. And I hope nobody zones out thinking, great, another lecture. Because what we're going to do over the next four weeks, we're going to look at the Father, Son and Spirit in the next three weeks. But this week, we're just looking at what makes God, God, Father, Son and Spirit. What is similar? Father, Son and Spirit talks about how they're all slightly different, how the way they relate to each other, why they relate to us. This morning we're talking about how God holds together and what difference that makes to us. Because it radically changes us when we understand who we are and how the world works uh, 
being uh, his creation. I'm going to pray that God will uh, give us some attention and uh, some time to think and really draw near to God this morning. Let's pray. Dear Father, I do thank you for this opportunity that we have to sit here in the quietness. We thank you for the people around us. Uh, but Lord, you know that we're all searching to know you better, whether we're here for the first time or we've been disciples for 50 years or more. Lord, we long to know you better. We long to experience your love, to know you intimately and to live in your circle of love. And we just pray that you'd help us this morning to, to help us get a good, clear picture of who you are Father, Son and Spirit. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Usually we have the talk outline on the back of the service sheet. There's been a few tweaks during the week. So I'll put the outline up on the top if you, if you use the outline or taking notes. But we're talking about the love of God <clears throat> this morning. Uh, but as many of you know, I've been out of action for a little while for the last few weeks. And uh, a lot of that's been to do with an ear infection. And what that's happened is blocked up my ears. So it's not just I can't hear anything, but I actually hear a lot of stuff, but not what I want to hear. It's actually my inner ear stops the outside noise, but actually hears a lot of stuff from the inside. So I can hear my heart beating really loudly. I can hear my brain thinking with this hum. It feels like an electric motor, but I think it's my brain. Uh, I can hear other stomach noises sometimes too, which is not good. Uh, but one of the loudest things I hear is when I come to church and I sing, uh, it's not pretty when you hear yourself sing. You can't hear anybody else on the outside, but you can only hear yourself. So I went to the doctor and told her what was happening, and she says, oh, you've got a form of cocktail party syndrome. And I thought, this sounds pretty good, because I know when you've got a cold or the flu, you take soup. Surely with ear infections, you take a pina colada. Thank you very much, and that'll dry me up. You know, this has got to be good. She says, no, no, it's not like that. You go to a cocktail party, and what you normally do is a room full of people. They're all talking. They're all saying their stuff. But we have this ability in our brain to somehow look at somebody in the face and talk to them and have a conversation. They mightn't be the loudest voice, but we can block out everybody else. But she says, you've got the opposite to that. So it's a different version of cocktail syndrome. Everybody's, it can be the slightest bit of noise in the background and you can be looking somebody in the face and they're talking loudly to you. I can't hear them, but I can hear everything else around me. She says, that's what's going on with you. Now, it's going to take a little while to clear up, and that's fine. It's on the mend. But it got me thinking, when we, we consider who God is, what makes him God, how he relates to us, and what is this love thing that holds him together and the love that reaches out to us, often we have this cocktail party syndrome where instead of looking to God, we want this relationship with God, all we're hearing is this noise around us. The noise starts telling us other things, and we go, oh, is God really like that? And we start taking on these other, other ideas. So instead of drawing near to God, we actually take on board what the world is telling us about God. I'll give you a few examples. Uh, anybody hearing the news about Donald Trump? Uh, he claims to be a Christian, but he talks about God's love. God's love is great. It's great and it's mine. It's not for you. God loves us. You know, make America great. He's on my side. Uh, in our country... Oh, we have a very, some very vocal, um, what you might call left-wing positions, where they say God loves everyone. God is pleased uh, with everyone as long as they don't judge others. Yeah, that's what God loves, peace and harmony and tolerance. Don't judge anybody else, just leave everybody else to do their own thing. That's what love really looks like. That's what God likes. But even churches have their ideas of God as well. Uh, so God... God's love compels him to bless. And when you say, what do you mean by bless? It just means to prosper. 
God loves to give you stuff. So if you haven't got stuff, if you're not wealthy or, or you're in poor health, means God's not loving you. You're doing something wrong. It's conditional. Or even as many Christians as individuals, we kind of know God is love in our head. We know, we read the scriptures, we hear it on Sunday, God's love and you know, drawn into him. But day to day, I'm just not feeling it. Actually feels a long way away. And love, in that sense, becomes a bit overrated. You know, we talk about it, but is this all there is to it? And we become content in that or hardened to it even. And Christianity then becomes a lifestyle more than a living relationship with the God of the universe. So we need to seek his face. We need to get a close look at him, shut out everything else around, get back to his word, how he describes himself in the scriptures. Because this has huge implications for us, how we understand love and how we draw near to him. And in this, uh, to live in his love. We need to know that. So I found, uh, you can imagine, there's lots of places in scripture to go where you can talk about God's love, how that works between Father, Son and Spirit. But we're going to anchor ourselves this morning pretty much in the opening chapters of Genesis. And that gives gives a pretty clear example how God's love works. And it gives us a few different pictures. Uh, The first one we see, how God's love makes three into one. We're talking about God there. And we see the opening verses. I haven't got the verses up on the screen. So if you've got your Bible open, flip back to page one. Uh, We're going to spend a little bit of time in Genesis, so it'll be worth it. But in Genesis 1, it talks about um, God creating the heavens and the earth, the spirit hovering over the, over the deep. And it's, we get this sense of before creation, before anything existed, there was God. God was there. He didn't need creation. He didn't need man. God was there and he was content and happy. Uh, but we get some hints about what God actually, what is made up of God. He's not just one person, but three persons. We get this thing about the spirit hovering. So, okay, we've got this picture of the spirit of God. But it actually says... Um, when, in the beginning when God created the heavens of the earth, in the Hebrew language, which is the original language, they actually put the God in plural. God, you could say God's created the heaven and the earth, but that'd be wrong because the rest of the context of scripture says, no, there's not more than one God. There's only one God, so it's translated right, but there's little hints to going, there's more than, more than uh, what we think going on at first reading. There's, uh, there is this more than one part make up God. There's a spirit hovering over uh, the, the waters. We have parts like the Gospel of John, the Gospel, uh, the book of letter to Colossians. Talk about Jesus being there at creation as well. Actually, Jesus was a part of uh, the speaking things into existence through his power and authority. That he was there as well. And a little bit later on, we're going to have a look at when God says, let us make man in our image. He's talking about plural again. There's us. God's having a conversation with himself. But we see this fleshed out. We won't look at all the verses, um, but just to get a big picture because we're going to see it over the next three weeks. We have this picture of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and, and they're all involved. They're all together before the creation of the world, and they're all there in perfect unities. In fact, so unified we call them one God. And the thing that holds them together is this perfect love. So you can imagine the tension when you put three people together and try and organise something like creating the universe Uh, there's going to be a few different opinions and a few different ways to do it but not these guys perfect unity perfect love they're not self-seeking they're serving others they're building each other up so they're serving each other building each other up seeking to glorify the other person so within this godhead 
this trinity this god father son the spirit we see this perfect love there's no arguing no fighting they're all trying to point to each other and say how good are you how good are you and because of that it affirms that they are one the unity is so tight they've got so much in common so unified we can say they are one god but because they never argue they never fight uh, they always point to each other we can see how that's fleshed out then over the rest of the chapters of scripture we've got the fathers pointing to the son you might remember when uh, jesus walked the earth god says this is my son whom i love and whom i'm well pleased what's he doing there it's the father is glorifying the son the son glorifies the father he's like perfect submission if the father wants me to come to the earth i will do it if the father wants to be glorified by uh, reaching out and saving broken people but there's a penalty there's a there's a price to be paid and that's a shedding of blood if the father wants me to do it i'll do it so jesus goes to the cross out of submission to his father glorifying the father god the father sends the spirit jesus says the spirit's going to come what's the spirit's job pointing to jesus you know you need to know jesus He's the way to true life and the spirit enables us to see jesus clearly again he's pointing to jesus jesus points to the father and we have this perfect submission perfect love perfect glorification never arguing or fighting cutting each other down but they're all building each other up it's perfect unity i heard about a friend of mine uh, who was having this conversation with a muslim girl young muslim girl she says i don't get this how you christians can say there's one god but there's three it's just impossible how can it work my friend said, well, it has to be three. If you're going to say God is love before the creation of the world, how can there be just one one? What's he going to love? It's himself. But we can see God is love before the creation of the world the way they relate to each other, the way they connect with each other. They're serving the perfect joy. They don't need man, they don't need earth, but they're, they're in this perfect harmony before the creation of the world. That, that, it kind of makes sense when you see it that way. If you're going to describe God, God is love, how do you know but we can see it through the father son and spirit so this love makes three into one but love also compels to reach out love's not i just want love just to myself i want to share my love i want to share my experience so here we see god's love welcomes us into his family it's another picture of love because families have a unique kind of dynamic of love don't they so how we see this playing out is the first five days of creation we, we're told this uh, we didn't read it all but god's there start of a new day he commands things into place god said let there be light let there be land let there be mountains ocean let there be creatures uh, on the water or on the land or in the sky god says it and it happens and when he talks to the animals god says just showing he's the boss he's a ruler he's a creator he commands them go forth and multiply he says that to all the creatures it's very clear in the first five days who's boss it's god god's creation god rules get to the sixth day and some things change uh this is still in chapter one <clears throat> where he uh, creates uh man and woman let's make man our image here they are man and woman but then uh this is slightly different he says i'm still god so he commands them as still the ruler go forth and multiply fill the earth he says but then it takes a twist there's a special unique relationship within men and women that the rest of the world hasn't got god in a sense invites them in like a father this is his creation it's his stuff it's his business he's going to hand the business over the running the universe to the to the man and woman like handing over an inheritance 
You can pick it up from verse 28 if, you, if you've got your Bible open there. But God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Uh, so God's still boss. He's telling them what to do. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air. And you've got, kind of got to go, in the previous verses, who was ruling? God was ruling. Very clear. But now he's saying, you rule. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and sky, uh, birds of, in the sky and over every living creature that moves upon the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant. It's like a dad giving the inheritance. Son, I'm going to give this to you. Every seed-bearing plant on the face of the earth, of the whole of the earth, and every tree that has fruit in it, they will be yours. So, what is this? This is your business now. This is your, yours food. And to all the beasts of the earth and the birds in the sky and the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food, but I'm giving it. Giving sort of like this, this relationship thing that's happening. I'm the Father God. I set up this kingdom, but now I'm giving it to you as my son. I'm still God. I'm still ruler, but you're going to manage this for me. Now, families, traditional families, I think it's getting harder and harder to see all the time. But traditional families have a unique bond in them, don't they? This unconditional love. This love that there's little expectations, just you're, you're my sibling, you're my seed. You're a part of me. We often see that it's around the dinner table. You know, when you come to the dinner table, everybody's so relaxed when it's just family that we all share, we have a bit of a dig at each other. It might be a bit casual with our manners because we all know each other, we know what irritates each other. So it's good on the good things, but we try, try and get through. But when you've got a visitor, when you've got an outsider, Things radically change, don't they? In the best manners, everybody's got special seats. We're not going to eat until everybody's been served and mum comes down, sits down. Everybody's going to uh, best manners, watch your language, don't give too much cheek. Uh, who's going to do the washing ups? The family goes in, does the washing up. It's family that's different to an outsider. And God's saying here, you're an insider. I've created you. And now you're a part of the family. I'm inviting you to come near into my circles. I want you to be a part of my family. So we see God the Father, Son and Spirit in this perfect love, glorifying each other, building each other, serving each other. He says, I want you to be a part of that. I want you to be a part of that relationship. Draw near and experience that kind of relationship. As a family, I can build you up. You can build us up. And this is the perfect love, how it's planned out. The other picture of love, so one is as a family and we're invited in. The other is God's love allows us to love another. So could we ever experience this same love that God's talking about? Or is it just a picture so perfect that's just beyond us? Well, God says when he's talking about let's, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, it really paints a very clear picture. He uses language like that they are one flesh. And you kind of got to wonder how can this man and woman in creation be so tight, be so in love with each other that they become one flesh, uh, more than a sexual thing, but actually unified. They're not two now, but they're one. Uh, even the Bible uses that language. So uh, how can that exist? Well, God says, well, because he is that perfect love, he can equip us, he put in our hearts that we can do it too. And we see that the way that works out. 
uh, down in chapter 2. Chapter 2 is just a retelling of chapter 1 uh, with the creation of Adam and Eve, uh, just from a different angle, a bit of a close-up. Some people say chapter 1's like on fast forward, chapter 2's in slow motion. But we get down to verse 24 of chapter 2. Adam was created. He didn't have a helper. Uh, God says, look, I'll give you a helper in Eve. She's created. Then verse 24, after Eve comes on, says, that is why man leaves his father and mother. Now, I always thought that's an interesting thing to say, isn't it? Who's Adam's father and mother? We don't know. But it's interesting to say. But he's, he's talking about the love that they will share together. You know, we talked about how tight the family bond can be, particularly from a parent to a child. This is going to be so much greater, so much more intense, so much more pleasurable than even the love of a father and mother. He's going to leave his father and mother, move on to something better. He's going to be united to his wife and they shall become one flesh. One flesh. And Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. You get that comfort in each other. They're loving each other. They're building each other up. They're serving each other. And even, I think we'll see later, you know, to be walk around naked, you'd really have to be confident in other people around you they're not going to cut you down they're going to build you up uh, to, to, to expose yourself bare like that be saying this is the sort of relationship they had like God like the Trinity they're serving each other glorifying each other building each other up they're not self-centered and that's what we see in marriage marriage like we've got the picture of the family but marriage is probably the closest picture when it's working right when it's working perfect just for those few minutes a day or a week when other things aren't distracting us uh, we, this is the closest picture we get of the unity of God, that God's three in one. He's saying, no, two are one through this when it's working right. And our sinful hearts don't turn that over. But the trouble is we have sinful hearts and we do like turning it over. And this is what we see happens next, that without God's love, that we break, that we destroy love. Now we see that in chapter three. Uh, creation's all set up. Adam and Eve's in the garden. They're enjoying the garden. This serpent comes along. You know, Satan's talking through the serpent. And Satan comes up to tempt Eve to eat from the tree that they've been told not to eat. God said, don't eat. Just eat anything. Don't eat from that tree if you love me and obey me. So we see this Adam and Eve, perfect relationship with each other, perfect relationship with God. Snake comes along. Satan comes along. Says, did God really say don't eat from the tree? You've got to realise with the temptation of Eve, she's actually defending. Well, God did say that. We shouldn't eat from the tree. That, that, that's God, what God said. We're not going to eat from the tree. So Satan's not, he's, he's tried the questioning, you know, God really says, that what he, the fruit does look pretty good. She says, yeah, I know it looks good, but I'm not going to touch it. But then he says, uh, but if you eat from the tree, you will become like God, knowing good and evil. So it starts, she's going, no, I'm going to listen to God because I'm in this perfect relationship. I'm glorifying him, living obedient. Apple looks good. That doesn't matter. God said, don't do it. But you could be like God. All of a sudden, what does that do to love? Instead of glorifying God, serving God, uh, just pouring out praise to him, all of a sudden I'm starting to think, yeah, actually, instead of doing that to God, what if I do it to myself? Instead of glorifying him, how about I be glorified? Instead of serving him, how about I serve myself? How about if I stop sacrificing to him, sacrifice uh, to make me better? That's where the shift is. The love for him is broken. Now I'm going to start loving myself more. I'm going to build myself up. I'm going to be the one. Uh, I'm going to be the one that calls the shots. She eats the apple on those grounds. Pass on to Adam. He doesn't refuse. He eats it as well. But already, it's not the apple that changes their hearts. 
The change has to take the apple. I'm going to stop loving God because I'm going to build myself up, not build God up. And then we see, once love's turned upside down, we see how it plays out. Adam and Eve, both being disobedient to God. God comes down into the garden. It's like, what's going on? Why are you guys hiding from me? He finds Adam in the garden, sees he's made up some clothes because he's a bit embarrassed now that he's naked. Uh, you know, what's going on? Now, if Adam was still full of love, if Adam had the love of God, what would he say? God, I'm sorry. This is what I've done. Don't blame Eve. I should take responsibility for this. He should save her. His love for her is trying to save her. His love for God's apologizing, trying to reconcile. But what does he say? She made me do it. Again, he's not serving her, building her up. He's, I'm trying to save my own skin, trying to build me up, trying to puff me up, trying to make me look good. But then what does Eve do? If Eve still had the love of God, what would she be saying? Don't blame my husband. I was the one who listened to the snake. I was the one who did it. I talked him in. No, she's like the snake you gave on, on the earth. It made me do it. I'm trying to save myself. I'm trying to build me up. So love's just completely turned on the head to loving, praising God, building him up, him glorifying them, praising them, building them up. To all of a sudden, now it's, it's all about me. It's all about me and my wants, my needs. And love is turned on its head and it's broken. We see that just getting worse and worse. They're children, they're two sons, Cain and Abel. Cain's jealous of Abel. It's all about me. So he kills, uh, Cain kills Abel. Some people think the whole opening chapters of the Bible are a bit like fairy tales. Oh, this is a story, just, I don't know, a bit of amusement. I mean, who doesn't like a story with a talking snake, right? Uh, it's got to be interesting. But it's more than that. There's something really going on that explains God, explains us, explains how, how we can't handle God's love when we withdraw like that. It's interesting how recent research confirms everything that's going on in Genesis, that story. A guy called Hugh Mackay's uh, commentates on social trends, particularly in Australia, what's going on, how we're we going for our weaknesses, changes in society, things like that. Uh, earlier this year, he, he gave a lecture using lots of research and studies showing, um, just analysing where is Australia at. And he gives a summary of Australia and some of the issues we've got. He says, one in five, 20% of every Australian has, um, counting every Australian, has some form of mental illness. And when you measure anxiety levels, anxiety levels are higher than ever recorded before across the nation of Australia. He says, what can you do? Can you blame things like economics? Because we all stress and worry about money. He says, when you look at economics, we have uh, 700,000 children living in poverty, 100,000 people are homeless. That's what the statistics are saying. But he says there's other statistics that say we have never had more personal wealth in the history of Australia. We have never had higher education than what we have now. So I don't think you can blame just economics and the way the country's run. He puts his finger on two things. He says, why not? He says, there's a loss of community. He says, look at statistics. Marriages, there's less marriages now than ever before. Uh, one million children now live uh, with single parent homes. We have a record low birth rate, and he calls our children the lubricant of society. He says children is what brings people together. We've got record low birth rates. Uh, more families than ever before have double incomes, which means they're doubly busy. Uh, his uh, statisticians reckon in 10 years, 30% of all households will be uh, single occupant households. We're now something like 2.6 people live in each house. In 10 years, 
Nearly one third of our households, people will be living by themselves. Uh, he says there's a, the lowest concern ever for others in, in helping others. If you look at how many people are actually volunteering to help others in organisations. That's at an all-time low. So we've stopped caring about other people and just shut off community. That's one problem, he says. Second problem uh, is that we feel more and more entitled to happiness. He says we breed it in our kids. You're entitled to be happy. You've got to be happy. You've got to get the stuff to be happy. He says it's all about me, nature, just growing and growing. And we've confused happiness with materialism, so we get more and more stuff thinking that'll do it. But it doesn't work. It breeds discontent, he says. Surveys show that the highest levels of anxiety come from our own wants and our own needs not being met, he says. You know, when you ask people, what are you anxious about? Say, I want all this stuff, but I'm just not getting it. So what is the solution? Because he says, you know, it's easy to pick problems in the world. Uh, these are all things of the world's falling apart. But his solution is radical and blunt. In his summary, he says, you've got to stop thinking of yourself Start putting other people first and rebuild community. And he uh, gives some examples how. And he uses the words, it's almost an exact quote, that we need to reintroduce the idea of Christian love shown as love your neighbour. That we need to start loving others, serving others and building others up. And I'm going, wow, I'm thinking about this, how God is and how he's made us and how through Adam and Eve, love's turned on its head. And this is what we see in today. That when God's love is turned on its head, we start thinking about ourselves, no matter our materialism, that like our, our economics don't measure up, but it's community who don't care about others anymore. It's about our expectations, it's more about me, it's more about me being happy. That's just going through what Adam and Eve went through. We see it more and more. The interesting thing is Hugh Mackay, as far as I know, is not a Christian. He's not, he quoted Gandhi more than he quoted the Bible, put it that way, uh, in, in this talk. But he's not selling Christianity. But he's put his finger on, there's a hole in our community and it's understanding love. But what he's saying, the remedy, is we've got to stop thinking about ourselves, start loving others. The thing he's missed, though, is the love of God. So I don't think we can ever start loving others enough unless we experience and know the love of God ourselves to be able to sharing at others. This is where, where he stops short. And this is what the Bible's saying. If you want community, if you want to uh, feel better about thinking it's not about me, building others up, they're building you up, this mutual service, mutual love, mutual praise and glory with God and with others, you need to know God first. You know, draw near to him before we can look at others. And this is what we say. It's more than just we need more love in the world which is so many arguments these days. If only we loved more, if only we had more tolerance, this would be better. If only we knew God's love more, that's the starting point. There's a book in Kurong I saw when I was in there, oh sorry, in a Christian bookshop when I was in there. Uh, I didn't read it. I was actually thought, you've got to be kidding me. Um, but it's called 101 Reasons God Loves You. Now I'm thinking, man, how can that be that I'm so glorious? I might have this book totally wrong, but in the title, that I'm so glorious that God would love me. But in fact, what we're seeing is because of God's love is so great that God loves me. That we've got to look to God to find that love rather than me trying to be more lovable. We've got to look to God and discover his love, to draw near to him, 
see that mutual glory, to find that love first. 101 reasons why God loves me. I hope he's, every one of those is talking about how, because of how good God is, not because of us. And this is where we see a picture fleshed out in the New Testament. This is where, uh, to get closer to God than you ever thought possible. We see this in uh, 1 John 3. I'll, I'll just throw a couple of verses out to you. 1 John 3 says, uh, verse 1, see what, uh, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that's what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. So God's love is unique. It's different to the world. But he loves us. He welcomes in that family thing. We can come into his inner circle as his children. But then if you skip down to chapter 4, chapter 4, verse 13. I've got it there up on the screen. Where it fills out a little bit more. This is how we know that <clears throat> this is how we know that we live in him and he in us. This is how we know when we're drawing near to him. That he has given us his spirit. So he's actually come into our lives through his spirit here and now. And we have seen and testified that the Father has seen the Son, has sent the Son, sorry, sent the Son to be the Saviour of the world. That brokenness that we had that needed restoration, God has sent His Son to fix that up through His death. We'll be hearing more about that in a couple of weeks. But He has come to us. He's reached out to us. He gave the, the great example of love, demonstration of love with Jesus going to the cross. That if anyone acknowledged that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them, and they in God. Interesting word choice, isn't it? That we're living intimately. We're back together again. And so we know and rely on the love that God has for us. It's all about his love that builds us up and makes us uh, part of his world again. But we need to know him. We need to draw near to him. We need to look in his face. We need to get into his word. Pray that the Spirit will guide us. Pray that we'll focus on Jesus and not on other things. Pray that we'll look at the Father in the face and see his great love for us and not listen to what's going on in the world around us. That's a starting point. I hope you're on the journey for the next four weeks as we look at what the Father, Son, Spirit, how do we pray to them? How do we talk to them? How do we uh, draw near to each of them? But we need to know the foundation on love. It's not an overrated word, but it's a word that promises much. Let me pray. Dear Father, I do thank you for who you are. That even before we were in the picture, you had this perfect uh, model of love with Father, Son, the Spirit, glorifying each other, serving each other, building each other up, not cutting each other down. But yet, Lord, when we consider that, we're sorry that we do exactly those same things, that we cut each other down, we try to build ourselves up, we try to make ourselves look better, regardless who we tre tread on in the process. Lord, help us to find that, that joy and glory and happiness in you that will we'll steer away from ourselves, steer away from listening to the voices that's all about self-esteem and self-improvement and it's all about drawing near to you and experiencing your love. Help us this week to get into your word, Lord, regularly, to draw near to you in prayer, Lord, to talk to you because we know you are in us as you promise. And Lord, that we'll draw near to you and not be distracted. And Lord, that, that love will not only shine in our lives, but shine throughout this, this church community. That we'll be able to express that to our wider community around us, say we're different. Not because we love, but because we have God's love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.